Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the I'm a Rescue podcast. I am Tom Clark, and not joining me today is Stephanie Clark. She is uh, off, I guess. She's on vacation. (laughs) She had to work today. So she didn't make the journey with me to uh, meet our guest, uh, who is... uh, Maybe just as well in our messy man cave. (laughs) It's a little little sauna in here. It would have been awkward. Yeah, but uh, it's nice. I'm with uh, Mark Price, who played Skippy on Family Ties. That's an ocean breeze. That is. Well, we're pretty far from the ocean. No, but that's still, (laughs) technically, it came over the ocean. It cooled by the ocean in the air. And you wouldn't feel this breeze if you were down in the city with the peasants this is by far the best view i've ever had uh doing this podcast we are literally up in the canyons here uh, up laurel canyon this is where all the all the rock and rollers steven tyler lives right, right down the road here and uh we have the most right here was where the birds used to live this is really where they burnt down this house oh my god this is the old bird's house holy man and that's it's talked about in a lot of lore and the, the the actual burning of it down they say david crosby was across the street and he ran over with an old <laughs> movie camera and filmed the burning of the house oh, i've never wow. seen that who knows where that i know right. from my own stuff it's probably long gone <laughs> i can't imagine he kept that right like i have my own you know Right, Does right. Does anybody keep their precious stuff? Maybe real people do. <laughs> Comics? No. <laughs> I'm pretty organized, i got to be honest with you. You have all your stuff? I, I do have like, all my stuff. I, it's a painting I, of my dad that Tony Bennett made. Oh, my it's gosh. Like Tony Bennett. I was talking to my girlfriend yesterday. I was like, oh, it's going to rain. It's going to get destroyed. i got to give it to my sister quick before I ruin it. Yeah. I lose stuff. I had a thing my dad wrote with Lenny Bruce. Oh, wow. And I lost it. Oh, no. Mark, Before you gotta I was give 19. Me, it's hard me for me stuff. to be mad about it now. Yeah, yeah. All these years later. Well, tell me a little bit about your dad. What, what was your. Uh... So he was a comedian. And what was his name? His name was... his name was Al Bernie. And it makes sense you wouldn't know him by name. It makes sense you wouldn't go, oh, Al Bernie. Because he started so long ago. He was popular in the 20s and the 30s. He started working in the 20s and oh my became gosh. popular in the 30s and the 40s. Uh-huh. He was a kid when he started, and he had me really late in life. Just okay. to explain how that's even possible. Right. <laughs> and he was on the Ed Sullivan Show, and he was a part of early television. So your grandfather might. My, my dad. My dad's 93. So he Oh, well, then it's your dad's era. Yeah, It yeah. is your dad's era. What, uh, what, like what shows back in the... In the old days. Of early television? Yeah. Because it started on the radio in 1940. He was on with Fred Allen. Before that, he had done movies for Mm -hmm. Disney and done voices. He was a a comedic mimic. Oh, wow. But he nailed the voices. So if it was Jimmy Stewart or W.C. Fields or Groucho Marx. Right, right. My dad was the guy. So if they did a cartoon with barnyard animals as celebrities, Uh which they started to do, they figured out they could exploit that kind of thing back then. Right. And they hired my dad to do a bunch of the celebrities. Wow. But he did Fred Allen with Fred Allen, and that was cool. Right, right. And and he was... Because, you know, Saturday Night Live does that all the time now. Sarah Palin with Tina Fey is saying it, or, you know, right, standing right. next to the character. But this was, you know, in the 40s. They didn't even have TV yet. Right. It had to be one of the first times anybody sort of saw two people, or listened in this case, to two people, you know, the right. same person. Yeah, wow. And somebody playing somebody else. Yeah, and is was when on Ed Sullivan, do you have like his old set or can you find so it I've at the So I've seen some of them and the uh pioneers of 
Broadcasting or whatever it's called, the the Museum of Broadcasting, if it still exists in Beverly Hills, I think right. it does, has on file some, which is really cool. Right. He sings the end. He sings oh, a song. Wow. In those days, they sang, they danced, they did all the. He wrote music. Right. They didn't well, just tell jokes. You know, they were like full on entertainers. Doing yeah. Impressions. When I worked with Polly Shore's dad, Sammy, he had a show in Laughlin, Nevada, at uh, I think it was the uh, Tropicana or something. Not Tropicana, but anyways, he was doing a show, and yeah, that's how he would open his set with a song, and then he would close his set with a song. It was sort of a sad song about being in show business for forty years and where's his life now? Oh no! And, and it's like and that oh, was no, the end God. of the show, and I have to close the show. That like, must be an old show business thing, because towards the end, my dad never closed with a sad song, but towards the end, he did, just like what you're really? describing. He closed with a sad <laughs> song, just like that. That must be like an old show business thing. Like towards the end, you get like a sad song at the end, right? Right. Because he used to close like most of my life with him he closed with like a tom jones impression he would sing delilah or whatever oh yeah yeah wow and and what age did you start watching your dad perform birth birth really? i was brought out on stage my mom was a singer i was a cheap device for applause <laughs> at the right. end of the show it was the girl singer in mm-hmm. those days that still existed there wasn't 10 comedians in a row it didn't exist yet right uh, as far as i know historically comedically in 1968, at that point, it was always a singer and a comedian or a dance team or a right. some kind of acrobatic act or something, and the comedian and the band. Right. And it wasn't, it certainly wasn't three or 15 comedians in a row. Right, which is unfortunate. There's <laughs> 15 <laughs> comics. I'd rather, I'd love to see an acrobat. I'll give you, an, I'll give you an example of how different it was compared to our world of comedy now, where right. we sit and watch sometimes. Sometimes you ever have to, uh, do you ever have to? I know the answer. Oh Same my way God. to go on. Well, go- 14 people go up in front of you, and every topic is getting covered, and the whole audience is just blowing out, and you're oh watching in God. front of you. Yeah. And, okay, my dad used to get upset if the MC told too many jokes. <laughs> like, that was his, he was the comedy star. I'm the joke guy. Of yeah. that show, you know, that was his thing. Right. Wow. And uh, so you were coming out that early and so this is 68 i was born in 68 so i was brought out on the stage as a baby Mm -hmm. and moved out here my first birthday party was in hollywood california and we were all set to live the hollywood lifestyle my dad was writing on the uh uh, hollywood squares okay and you know his friends (laughs) were people that were working in those days old people by old people even middle-aged like george gobel Type. Well, that kind of thing. Those guys were working, yeah. yeah so yeah. it was a different era, you know. Yeah. Showbiz wasn't all young people like it is now. Yeah. And so there was room for him in the mix, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, But my mom wouldn't have it. She, she was tired of show business. She didn't want to have anything to do with it. She didn't want Hollywood. She didn't have that dream. She didn't have that star and in her eyes. She just didn't right. have it. And she wanted the normal life for me, and she wanted me to go to Cornell and have a family. And mm-hmm. I often mock my decision and say, I should have listened to my mom. <laughs> But uh, you can't fight destiny. And so there I was. I came out here. Okay, so she moved back to New Jersey. Okay. And my dad moved back with us, and he started working in the Catskill Mountains. And as a result, I can't complain. I got a lot of attention from my dad. Right. Um, I have an older sister from my dad's previous marriage. Okay. And to my mom. And she was there for a different era, right? She was. She had her birthday backstage at the Copa. Okay. And she met Ed Sullivan and all that stuff. You know, right. she was like part of that thing. But he didn't, he was away a lot. He was on the road and, uh, mm-hmm. and you know, she didn't get as much attention. So mm-hmm. I got like, uh, he made his life about me and he'd go up to the Catskills and do gigs on the weekends. Wow. And it was kind of a commuter comedian lifestyle that doesn't quite exist 
anymore. I don't know what exactly. I don't know. Maybe the guys that live in Boston and do a lot of gigs around Massachusetts and stuff. Right. Or, or I don't know if any. I don't know. The, Certainly nothing like this exists. The anymore. Catskills was like a resort up in the New York mountains, right? That, yeah, it was Jewish, and it was a place to go. It's hard for us to imagine a time when right. Jewish people didn't feel comfortable going just to any resort. You know, and that's what started the mountains. It was like a place for Jewish people to go and be comfortable. Okay. And they had the right food and they had the right people oh, and yeah, they had yeah. entertainment and it was set up like a cruise ship. They had the right deal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it yeah. was it was in fact like a cruise ship. All the food you can eat, all the entertainment. You'd pay one price, go with your family, and you could order nine trays of food and you could go watch the early show and the late show. You could do you know what I mean? Right. And, had st- and there were Simon says and events of the pool and you right. know, just prizes and dance contests and bands. I don't know how they did it <laughs> without gambling. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I don't know what's how they made that work, but somehow they made that work, and it was huge for right. so many years. And the entertainers were like the kings, you know, and there were only so many of them. And yeah. My dad was one of those guys, and I got to watch the tail end of it, really, because in the 70s and early 80s, it started to downward spiral pretty quickly. It was kind of the end of it. Right. Clubs started popping up around 70. Four seventy five. Yeah, as comedy clubs took over and that yeah. world kind of went down. But also the Catskills itself, it never got gambling. And there was, you know, what they say, These I'm just repeating back what everybody says, but they say air conditioning came in and now you didn't have to leave New York City in the summer. You had oh, to before okay. that. You know what I mean? It was just too hot, you know? <laughs> and so they had air conditioning and then cheap air travel. All of a sudden, you didn't have to go up to the mountains. Right. Fly to Jamaica or go to... Go to Atlantic City. Yeah, go take to a Vegas, cruise. Yeah. Or there. So there were, like, more options. And uh, Jewish assimilation, they said that was the biggest thing. You didn't have to go. <laughs> you could go anywhere you wanted. Right. Uh, and so that all these things sort of factors sort of came together and the whole thing sort of just fizzled out. And everybody wants a new thing. You know, it was old. It was yeah. an old thing. And so at that point, but it was the thrive for a long time. Yeah, and I'm glad I caught what I caught of it because I did get a beautiful glimpse of it, and it was really fun. Yeah, it's such old school. And did you ever get to go up? At I got to go up with my dad. He okay. used to take me on stage with him. I used to do jokes. He play the recorder, 1970s tape recorder, oh, yeah, in yeah. backseat on the way after the gig to the late show. We'd listen to the early show and analyze the jokes. Oh wow. And then uh, he'd have me go, um, you know, trade jokes with him on stage, and we'd listen to that. And uh, would he be like, was it like the the stage mom who the was coach like, and would it be like, what are you doing? You're too slow here. You got to pick up the pace. You I know? can't hear smiles. <laughs> I can't hear smiles. <laughs> no, that he actually someone else said that. He, he that was not his line. But he was kind of like the coach and Rocky. Hit him hard, kid. Hit him hard. Right. I joke that when he. Uh, taught me to ride a bike he had me go really slow and in traffic and that way i'd learn to deal with hecklers (laughs) okay but truthfully he had that timer which i still have somewhere around here the timer that i put my hand i feel his hand and we timed my set for when i went on merv when i was 14 you know oh my gosh and uh, he definitely was the the ultimate coach and he took me to go see the kids of that era because i was hanging out with joey bishop and milton burl and pitching milton burl a joke backstage and stuff like that you know getting milton burl his tea yeah, you know, well, how, would, what was Milton Berle like? He would he would often leave me at a show like that and uh-huh. go to his show. Oh, and he, they would go to pretty great lengths to do that. That meant to drive and another twenty five minutes each way and all mm-hmm. that. But he would do that for me because he knew that would be such a great gift to me. So hang I, on. I am I am grateful for that. So yeah. yeah, any memory of like any like wow I can't believe that interaction happened like with 
Milton Berle or Joey Bishop or anyone or well Joey Bishop I remember them sitting around the table going over the jokes that like everyone had told that week already like which ones were clear for him to tell uh-huh. like can I do that oh no, no he did that one. Oh, he did that because <laughs> <laughs> those Benupton jokes used to circulate right and that would happen sometimes even with my dad like he would tell one of his jokes and like you could tell like from the audience reaction two nights ago somebody did that oh know? yeah yeah <laughs> that's funny but I also remember Milton. I remember pitching a joke to Milton Berle and him doing it, and what a thrill that was! Wow. That was like the first time I'd ever gotten, you know, a joke on the air. Yeah, know? and it wasn't on the air, of course, it was live. But um, and then years later, I I told him about it, and I said, you know, I pitched you a joke backstage at the Brickman, and you did it on stage. It was such a thrill. And he went, oh, I never played the Brickman. <laughs> There you go. Milton Berle's legacy lives on. <laughs> what a jerk. He also took credit for, for uh, discovering my dad, and, uh, and then somebody else at the Friars Club that day went, he, t- he takes credit for discovering everyone. Right. But uh, but that's the era. It was that era, and George Burns was good friends wow. with my dad. And, and then, but he also, he you know, he... He was hip, and he was friends with Sammy Davis. They wrote together. My dad worked with Sammy Davis on impressions and music, oh, wow. and uh, and Lenny Bruce. That was you know a big one because right. Lenny Bruce, people forget, was a tie and suit comic and the Catskills. Yeah, before he turned things around. Yeah, what what point did he start going a little? Was it wasn't in Lake Geneva or something, or that was at George Carlin. I think it was George Carlin, but uh, where he just sort of decided, like, I'm going to start doing this act, or did he? go to new york well george carlin's a lot younger than lenny bruce right so he yeah i think uh tells that great story where he just decided to flip over to the other to that other side of the audience right right you know which is great and we're so glad he did right because george carlin who isn't yeah he's great yeah indebted to him but uh uh yeah i guess i don't really know the history of uh, lenny bruce's era too much i could tell you more that my dad was always trying new things and always moving things forward he was very progressive and considered a pioneer like in one of those movies in the 30s even he imitated all the different characters in one courtroom scene and he's the judge and he's the lawyer and he's the you know Mm -hmm. little whatever the accused and it's he's playing all the characters and they cut around and you see the back of someone else's head like with the makeup and stuff and i thought wow and for that to have happened in 1938 that might, you know, it's like Eddie Murphy esque, right? Right. I'm saying that <laughs> yeah. so much before, like, and Eddie yeah. Murphy did that, that he might have helped pioneer that. Yeah. I know yeah. he did the first Elvis impression in 1956. Oh, wow. Elvis had maybe just appeared on TV once already himself, even in 1956. Uh-huh. No one even knew what Elvis looked like yet. Yeah, yeah. My dad did a silly impression of him on Ed Sullivan. Wow. Like, yeah. Boy, I, I really want to. I want to watch some of that footage. I wish uh, there's, but there's nothing on YouTube or anything. No, there's some stuff. There is. We'll get links on this. Okay, on your thing. for yeah. sure, for sure. So there's links. There's, uh, but it's cool how the stuff comes up. Mm-hmm. So like, I, it, he wasn't a part of the digital era, so it's not just easily accessible. Oh yeah, yeah. But there's collectors, you know. So all of it, and these things come out in little bits and pieces, and I've never seen stuff, and I see it all of a sudden. And it's like this connection. It's like this visit with my dad. Right. It's really cool. And most recently, I got a call from a guy at Northridge College who was cleaning out his office, leaving after 30 years or whatever. And he's like, I found this box here with these tapes and these DVDs Mm -hmm. of you and your dad. Wow. And he's like, do you want to pick that up? I was like, yeah, Tuesday. It might be good. He was like, no, no, no. I'm I'm leaving the office right now. Do you want these? And I was like, yes. And I (laughs) drove out there and thank God I did. Because I... 
I didn't even remember. I vaguely remember, but I didn't remember videotaping it. Mm-hmm. I don't remember hiring a videographer. Right. Because <laughs> that's what this is. It's not just like a little videotape. This is early videotape days, and it's like a nice videotape. And it's my dad and I doing a show at a casino together. Wow. And we're like, you know, Lewis and... Right, right. Uh, Lewis, <laughs> Martin, Lewis and Martin. Martin yeah, Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> Martin Lewis and Clark, we're, I was going to say. We're, we're, we're singing. <laughs> I, I'm off key. I'll admit it. He yeah. could sing. You know, I wish I could sing. I'm off key. Right. But I got my nice hair and I'm skinny. Got my mullet. Yeah. So let's get into your uh, career because it's like, because you started, be, so you were basically a child performer or at least live. You, you weren't doing TV or anything at that point. I started point. with stand-up because of my dad, and I was performing at the... I was hanging out at the clubs, the comedy clubs and stuff, and mm-hmm. I was in a little kid show with talented kids. Okay. And they sang, and they danced, and they were so good. And I was the comedian kid. Wow. And uh, that's what kind of got me noticed right away. We were at the Roxy Theater on Sunset. Uh-huh. And it was like a thing on Sundays, like... Again, this is so pre nine eleven. I can't imagine parents doing this today. But parents would just like drop off their kids and say, "We have this like giant." <laughs> People would, you know, they'd go, "God knows what they did in right, the right. early to mid eighties <laughs> while they dropped off their kids for the day." <laughs> but uh, sometimes there'd be like one chaperone for like twenty seven kids. You could just, right. Anyway, but everybody had fun at the show because the kids were so talented. Adults would come too. Parents would come because mm-hmm. these kids were that good. I mean, there was a kid. He sang. Oh my God! Like Frank Sinatra. Wow, it was unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there was you know the little girl that's so you know like Shirley Temple esque girl, right? Doing the tap dancing. Yeah, everyone had their talent. We had dancers, amazing singers. What was one of your early jokes? What was one of the the first joke? It's rough growing up. It was like from a joke book kind of joke. Uh huh. My whole first act, I think, was from the book. Larry Wilde. Larry Wilde. I was going to say Larry Wilde. Yeah, he wrote the Polish jokes thing. He was a friend uh, of my dad's, and he he often quoted my dad in his books. He'd say, Alberni tells this just joke, and whatever. But he had one, and he personally signed it to me and gave me permission. Okay, good. (laughs) Just for our listeners, he had permission. Oh, no, well, there's plenty of stories about me doing Jay Leto jokes and stuff. We'll talk about that. Okay. But this was, uh, uh, like, jokes like, uh, it's tough being a teenager, you know. My parents, I had the high voice. Now my voice is high, but it's different because of the bong. Because <laughs> right. of the four-foot bong. Uh, he said, uh, it was, t- he said, like, it's not even me, by the way. This, right. That 13-year-old kid, he said, <laughs> it's tough being a teenager. It's tough. I had, like, a little catchphrase. Like, it's tough. Oh, okay. It's tough. It was your hook. <laughs> it was my hook. Yeah. My parents, they spent years teaching me how to walk and how to talk. Uh-huh. And now that I know how to walk and how to talk, they tell me to sit down and shut up. <laughs> nice. It's got that Jewish rhythm to exactly. it, too. Right? <laughs> that was my dad's rhythm. My dad would go up on the end of jokes. Right. Um, and uh, so you're, you're doing these shows, and then when do you start? I mean, uh, when, like, I don't I don't want to rush too far ahead, but what, what age did you get on? Uh, right away, family, family ties. ties. Right away, when I'm Merv, they called me into NBC. So you did Merv Griffin, yeah. Did, so did Merv, Merv Griffin. Griffin when I was 14. I was on Family Ties when I was 14. Wow. Yeah. So they saw your Merv Griffin tape. And... Yeah, they saw it. The first one. Okay. So they called me back. I had that classic comedian thing that I know you know about, but do your right. listeners know? We have to explain it, right? Sure. I, I'm not explaining it for you. You understand. But comedians classically get called on to do a sitcom, uh, not a sitcom, a uh, 
talk show talk show late spot. night show yeah. yeah they do really well and then they get called back again but they don't have anything they've all they've used up their one spot right they've only got one ready five, to go. yeah so they you know traditionally i don't even know if this even applies in today's world with netflix and all that but they used to teach us in the 80s comedy club school mm-hmm. that you had to have at least three sets ready to go in case they called you back you right, right. Be ready get yeah. two sets ready at least <laughs> right anyway i used up all my joke book jokes uh-huh i was out he oh. called me back <laughs> two weeks later, and I was cocky. Oh, my no. dad had was on the road. My dad had prepared me for that first set, and now me and a young friend went oh, ahead no. and prepared the second set. Mm. And I was nervous, and I rushed it. And I just bombed so horribly. I, I have never seen that second one. It would be fun to see oh, it. Let's go to the museum. We'll go. Look. I remember who <laughs> was on out. the show that day. It was one of the. It was one of the girls from that movie where the girls go to Greece. With the guy, oh, I'm trying to remember. She was so pretty, and then it was uh, Christopher Atkins from the Blue. Lagoon, oh yeah, Blue Lagoon. Who was discovered? I remember from his interview that day. He was discovered at a gas station. Wow. <laughs> he tells the story. He was a good-looking kid. Right, right. Somebody said you should be a movie model right. or something. You know, that was and, the uh, Instagram of our day of just spotting. And who else somebody. was on? Oh, it was a great show. Murph Griffin was great. He had all these different people on, and he had. Uh, Moon Unit Zappa, who lip synced oh, yeah. Valley Girl. <laughs> That's like an impossible song to lip sync. Right. <laughs> and so the second one didn't go as well. Uh yeah, Merv Griffin. I actually met Merv Griffin right before he before he passed away and I that was such a weird I was at Swingers and a friend of mine did a documentary and he just showed up and he just sat down with us and we just talked. Like just we just just talking about stuff. It was just so fascinating to me. And I remember this <laughs> this homeless guy had seen me perform like in that area, and he's like, "Hey, aren't you? Uh, you're Tom Clark." I was like, "Yeah, yeah." I was like, "This is Merv Griffin." He's like, "Yeah." Anyway, <laughs> and he, he blew off Merv Griffin. I was like, "Wow, that's uh, that's a story I'll hold on that's to." That's quite a feeling. Yeah. yeah. So so uh, yeah, the, Merv Griffin started so many people. It's not even funny. I mean, all the big stars that you know ended up on johnny carson and they give credit to carson for turning their careers around and it did carson turn their career right around. but they were all on merv first yeah yeah it was like the, jay leno merv griffin the training ground jerry seinfeld merv griffin all was those it, guys were on merv before they were on merv, johnny carson well merv was an afternoon show wasn't yeah, it yeah okay because i remember it's like seeing it after school uh, they shot it at, at vine and hollywood at what's now like bed bath and beyond if you go into bed bath and beyond there's like a place they have them where the stage was. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Really? You could stand right where the like the main stage. Like they figured out, yeah, the history of it. The actual location. And uh so the the casting people saw you from Family Ties? NBC. Uh, it was NBC. Bigger. It was bigger than the casting people from Family Ties, yeah. It was NBC called me in. And Brandon it, Tartikoff's office. And was that like I mean, cuz you're in showbiz like for me i mean obviously anything like that it's always big but for you is that just sort of like yeah this is what happens you're this is the next step for me well you can't say that uh well i appreciate it that i appreciate it enough because you are because when you're 14 you don't you just everything just seems you know invincible and everything right. seems forever and everything seems right and mm-hmm. whatever you know like now i look back i go yeah that was a pretty big break <laughs> right but i think i appreciated it that at the time it was like it was certainly cool. I loved it. I love going in. I love looking at the posters on the wall. I love. I, I would go early pre nine eleven. You could show up at a studio or a network for your four p.m. appointment at one fifteen, and they would let you in 
Right. And you could just float around. Wow. Or at least that's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> so you're 14, you get, uh, this is, so 82, right? Family Ties came out? Or yeah. 81, yeah. No, 82, I think. 82. Yeah. And, uh, and does do they just meet with you, or do they say, "Hey, read this. Let's see how it goes," or they just talk to you? NBC brought me in. They groomed me. They looked for other projects first before Family Ties came about. They mm-hmm. had I was going to maybe be the kid on Mama's Family, and I was so <laughs> upset. And that taught me that life lesson that we all have to remember that we all forget when anything goes wrong. That you always have to like remind yourself is really true, which is, "Hey, maybe there's something better around the corner. You never know. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, it seems like it's bad right now, but maybe." Maybe I wouldn't meet the Mike Forever Love if I had done that or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like these separate realities. Yeah, yeah, and so Family Ties always reminds me of that because if I had been on Mama's Family, I probably wouldn't still be working today as a comedian. Maybe. Right. Yeah, <laughs> you became iconic as the... Uh, I got lucky. I got lucky. Yeah, but that's that's the business, right? Is is I felt comfortable on the lot. My dad, I owe everything to because not only did he teach me to be a comedian that brought me on Merv, that brought me into NBC, but... His friend was the dad, the grumpy dad on Laverne and Shirley. Oh, yeah, yeah, that. yeah. And and that was my Uncle Phil Foster. Oh, okay. Another guy a lot of people credit with helping them become stars. Like right, Murph right. Griffin almost. I swear, you wouldn't believe how many people go, Phil Foster got me an audition, he got me in the party, he got me what? Really? He helped people in Hollywood. That was his thing. And he was an old-time comic. He was, okay. Wow. And so he uh, brought me to Paramount Studios and said, just go ahead and... Rome, and if anyone asks you, you tell them your uncle is Phil Foster. Mm-hmm. So at the time, they were doing Taxi, Mork and Mindy. Wow. I remember Bosom Buddies. Yeah. You know, Laverne and Shirley and Happy Days were the big staples. Right. What studio is this? Paramount Studios. Paramount, okay. And so we did Family Ties there. Okay. So by when it came time to audition for Family Ties, I was so comfortable in that space and I was familiar with the process of how the week, because I wasn't just there for a day. He saw that I loved it, and he was like, "Hey, come back all week," mm-hmm. you know. And I hung out. I hung out at that place. That was like, you know, my Brand, college. Br- Brandon Tartikoff saw that you loved it, or no, Phil Foster. No, Phil Foster saw that okay. I loved it and let me hang out all week. Then uh, it just all kind of timed together when they called me in to audition for Family Ties okay. it's at Paramount Studios. So you're comfortable. And I, yeah, I knew yeah. the lot. I, you know, I knew how the process worked. I didn't. I wasn't as. I was still nervous, but I got to imagine the other kids were more nervous. Right. And and the audition process is it like it is now, where you go into a room with the casting directors, you read, or were you like second audition, third audition? Like where were you? Did was it? Did you have to go through the, all the steps? Yeah, I wonder. You know what's so funny? I don't remember if there was a first one. I might have bypassed the first one because I don't remember a first one. I do remember coming and reading for the executive producer. Okay. And I remember the casting agent, the assistant to the casting agent, who now runs the studios. Oh, wow. Donald DeLine. He's like one of the biggest. If you Google his name, you'll see he's on movies and he's like one of the top guys. And right. he was, if I'm not mistaken, he was the casting assistant. Okay. Wow. And he worked with me on it. He kind of had, he didn't, you know. You don't get that kind of attention these days at the casting places. No, you're in and out. But I was a kid. Maybe they took more care with kids back then. I don't know. He, I don't know if he did that for all the kids. I don't know. But he definitely worked on it with me. I remember his. Try it like, okay, give it, you know, do it. Okay, all right, mm-hmm. that's good. That's good. <laughs> Just like that, you know, that kind of thing. And then he marched me in the office, you know, and introduced me. And so. Oh wow! And then so, just just that audition, they loved I you. If it was if it was a callback, I don't think there was a callback. It was just a one-time role at first. It wasn't going to be a oh. regular role. They, they NBC was encouraging them to kind of feed me in, and 
uh, I heard stories that it was because Michael to keep Michael J. Fox young and you know another young young guy to be right. a friend a young friend you know because he was such an adult on the show like he acted <laughs> like so, yeah you needed to well he was just a few years older than me but they wanted to keep everything really right young. right but I mean on the show he's, his character is like already a full grown adult as far as like no, the way he acts no but the way he the way he acts he's a Republican he's like yeah he's he's uh, wears a vest all the time that might yeah. have started all that by the way I don't really? know if you want to talk about that I mean what's that well people give Reagan credit for you know starting oh, yeah. the whole Republican revolution. But really, if you think about it, you know, he was a he was a, <laughs> an Archie Bunker-like character, but yet no one wanted to be like Archie Bunker. Right. But here was this Archie Bunker-like character, you know. Sort of a heartthrob. <laughs> everyone wanted to be just like him. I had people come up to me, more than girls that wanted to sleep with him were guys that wanted to be him. Right. Because he was very, he never really thought about his politics. He just thought like, oh, he's he's funny, he's... He's charming. Well, some right. people thought about his politics. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> and then most people today vote for Trump. Yeah. Well, uh, look what you've done, Michael J. Fox. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> so, I like getting out of this podcast that Michael J. Fox created Donald Trump. It's but, some people say. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> we're doing a conspiracy theory up here in Laurel Canyon. It was the beginning yeah. of the end. Yeah. Um, so you guys, uh, so you did that. And did you follow like the fact that wow this show is a hit or was it a hit at first or how was it it wasn't a hit at first i really just lucked out um it, it became a hit the third year because this was they didn't even hold shows you know like for three like we got so lucky i mean these days i don't think they hold shows for three years to see if they become hits oh no it's <laughs> one year out yeah so that was another thing like the network believed in it enough that they held on to it and it wasn't i don't know it wasn't like a massive flop or something but it wasn't a it wasn't a hit until the third year and then boom it was on after cosby right and well, cosby was one and we were number two and, and then cheers and then it was a I, whole thing oh i remember the thursday night lineup it was it was cosby Family Ties, Cheers, and Night Court, and then Hill Street Blues. Right, the, the uh, what do they call that? The uh, Thank God It's Thursday or something? Uh, uh, what would they something. call it? They called it uh, Must See TV. Must was, See TV, but yeah. it was also like a Thank God It's Thursday, or no, maybe that's another network, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think they're going to throw God in there. They're not <laughs> Thank God It's Thursday. Um, but, uh, no, that's, I'm thinking of TGIF. TGIF, yeah. Yeah, TGIF. That's the ABC. Yeah, right. You're Sorry, plugging the wrong. wrong. Oh, boy. Wrong Were you on the show? What was going on? Let's get into I don't think I really was. I've definitely won the award for milking a smaller appearance on something like more than anyone else. There's no one. Oh. There's, you don't see like Lumpy from Leave It to Beaver, you know, doing cruise ships or something. You know? Well, I think if he could. I heard he wrote a tell all book that was. Uh, a Lumpy tell all? Yeah, a Lumpy tell all. Let me tell. I think that I was actually going to interview uh, Jerry Mathers, but it was a very complicated process. Like I had, to, I could only Part do a the research. The lumpy tell-all. Oh my God, what yeah. is he exposed? Yeah. Well, he he, he, well, he said he just talks about what a ladies' man he was. How much? How many women wanted to be with him? And, <laughs> with lumpy. Um, but uh, that's a phenomenon. I remember Jerry Lewis saying that uh, you know he always got more women than Dean. Oh really? Yeah. That's a little insecurity. Come on. To have to announce that. To have to announce it, yeah. No question. Yeah. Um, were you, uh, so, and so at, while the show was going on, so you were kind of 
in and out of family ties, right? That first couple seasons? Just a little bit in, a little bit out, yeah. Yeah. And were you able to parlay that with into your stand up then or not quite yet? You mean like talk about it in my stand up and stuff? Not really. Or, like nobody knew the show yet. And were you touring around with it? Not yet. No, I wasn't okay. touring yet. No, I was still, you know, 15 years old and I did my first movie. Oh. And that was when a lot of things happened. Oh, boy. Here we go. If you know what I mean. <laughs> when I made start? that movie. On location on that movie. That was a very special movie. Oh, boy. He's, and he started um, liking girls. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, Can we I, what movie a, was it? We were in a town in Arizona. No one ever saw the movie. Oh, I no. I mentioned the name. I, I could. It was called The Zoo Gang. And there was an, it got a different name at one point called All That Glitters or Winners Take All. It had like three different names. Okay. Oh, no, All That Glitters or something else. This was Winners Take All was the the. the the new name I remember now. Okay. And uh, in it was, you know, Jackie Earl Haley. Oh, yeah, yeah, from the Bad News Bears. Wonderful and now actor, he's a. Yeah. yeah, now he's like. Yeah, he's Does a all crazy kinds of good cool actor. stuff. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Ben Vereen. Wow. And a great cast of kids. Uh huh. Again, talented kids. You know, I was just so lucky to be a part of it. And yeah. I went in for one of the leads, and they were like, no, we have somebody else in mind. Uh, there was. Uh, his name is Eric Gurry. He actually got out of acting, he listened to his mother. <laughs> he went to Cornell, went to Cornell. And he has a family and I'm sure he's very successful right now and I'm <laughs> pretty sure he's not listening to this podcast and he uh, successful people listen to this <laughs> podcast Mark very <laughs> successful people now I sound now I sound like Trump very well, successful people listen to this podcast that was that was more slight <laughs> at me uh, but he uh he was super talented and they said we've got him for that lead role but there's this other role mm -hmm. of the fat kid oh and I was like I'll get fat. Yeah, you're chubby. Right? You're, I wasn't really. Yeah. I was like, I'll get fat. Okay. <laughs> Your method. And again, in those days, things were so different. They just wouldn't even consider doing this now, but they sent me like coupons for Haagen-Dazs. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, 15 years old, they're fattening me up. Right, right. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I didn't have any problem with it. Sure. You're living oh the life. God. You're on a movie. You've got free food. You eat as much as you want. <laughs> junk food. Yeah. Crazy amounts of junk food. So that was... I oh, wasn't they... available for Family Ties. They had a script with me in it, and I wasn't. I was making a movie. Oh no! And they're like, "We can't, what? Skippy's not available." They were like, <laughs> "And we have a script, and it was like a thing. It was like a TV thing. You know, it's a multi-million-dollar show. They don't just, right? You know, that's like a big deal. They have the script written, in, and the actor's not available, and then they got to call. Somebody's got to tell the executive producer, uh, we have to change the script, or, you know, whatever. You right. know, like there's a thing, you know. Yeah, and, and so he was like. Uh, I think that's what propelled me into contract. They were like, oh, okay. Oh, nice. So that doesn't happen again. Okay. Well, that's good, because they could have gone the other way and just been like, we'll get... Uh, we'll, we'll get somebody else. Right, we'll get... Uh, yeah, you lucked out. Yeah, like the Bewitch thing where they just yeah. get a different... Christian Glover could be Skippy from Family <laughs> Right. What would that be like? And it would look something like... like the, um, so, you, so you do the movie, the movie... Did you think like... Because I know sometimes you you do stuff in Hollywood where you're like, this is it. This is my big break. Mm. Or well, you were only a, a no, guest star. No, we knew, the, we knew the movie wasn't going to be the big break. Okay. Uh, but it was a great experience. I learned how to, I remember the first day on the set, like, they were like, okay, now do that again the exact same way. And I was like, do it again the exact same way? Like, I remember like learning like what a how what a movie is. I didn't right. know how they did it the exact same way. Right. <laughs> it was like, yeah, you have to do it the exact same way. All these different angles, the exact same way. I was like, exact same way. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my god i mean i really didn't understand it when i first came out here with my dad the first thing i did which everybody should do is like be an extra just to see how a movie's made just to right. watch it and stuff apparently i didn't learn enough because <laughs> when i was an extra in this one movie i was so desperate to be in it that I didn't listen to the people in charge of it or whatever, and it was like a dance, like a ballroom scene or whatever. And right. I'm in the background of every. Like, <laughs> I snuck in each time. Right, because you want to be on camera. Yeah, you're the worst extra ever. <laughs> worst extra ever. <laughs> and um, so the so the producer like said to me like three days later, he's like, "You're in every, the <laughs> you know, like I got balled out." Right. I, do, I I love watching like because I, back in the day they couldn't like they didn't have digital it was all film and it was just like well we can't do another take like we're just stuck <laughs> with this guy in the background of every scene. Um, well, they also didn't know until later. Right. Well, that's like the Michael J. Fox Teen Wolf thing, right? The the guy has his zipper open. They say maybe he had his penis out. In the I don't know this. Lord. Oh yeah, there's, I don't know if you this go Lord. on YouTube, there's a, a YouTube video from Teen Wolf when he hits the winning basket and they're like celebrating, he's hugging his family. In the background there's a guy who zips up his pants <laughs> and like tucks his shirt and I don't know if it was his penis or a shirt or what it was, but there's, ah. yeah, so it's uh there's a Movie lot of lure. Yeah. Or in uh, what's the other one? Three men and a baby. They they thought there was I know that somebody one. I know that one. The ghost, in the, the ghost in the background. Right, but it was like a Macaulay Culkin cutout or something. It wasn't really a dead person. One of the movies I did is Trick or Treat with Ozzy Osbourne and Ooh. Gene Simmons, and my tushy's in a scene. Oh boy! And I'm <laughs> in that Mr. Skin. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, yeah, It's yeah. like a, they list where people are naked in movies. <laughs> and you're on there? <laughs> I'm actually on that. Oh, boy. And it says, you know, like, at uh, whatever, at the at the 222 mark to 226 mark, you know. Mark Price's butt. Skippy's <laughs> butt. <laughs> You've gone down a deep hole in the internet if you're looking up Mr. Skippy Skin. from Family Ties. Mr. Butt. Skin. <laughs> Any nudity with uh, Mark Price in it? I'd kind of <laughs> like to know. I can't, I can't think it gets... I, I probably doesn't get clicked on a lot. I will give you that. Yeah. I will give you that. I will, I'm the only one that clicks on it. No, well, I don't. Well, let's, we'll see after this podcast how many people click and uh, <laughs> see if anyone sends me any butt pics of you, which don't don't you do it. Um, what did we start here? Yeah. So, so, um, so yeah, so Family Ties. So now you're a, a regular on the show and... Or uh, not a regular, but you're uh, recurring. under contract. Recurring. Recurring. I thought it was re- reoccurring until like two years ago. <laughs> Somebody had to explain to me. No, no, you're learning a lot about show business as you go. <laughs> and 20, 30 years later. Yeah. <laughs> so he's like, it's not reoccurring. It's, right. it's recurring. Right. Well, how often do you use What's the word the recurring? Yeah. <laughs> it's a it should be re- It should be reoccurring. Yeah, it shouldn't be recurring. Anyways, Hollywood anyway, makes up stuff. I was recurring. Anyway, just got um, there at a very special time. They show that they had a baby, and America was like invested, and it was right. like, that was when it was like at its height. And Michael J. Fox has taken off. I think I don't know when Back to the Future comes out, but eighty five, real soon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and right after that was the Mallory storyline. Always that was always that was always, of, that was from the first episode. Yeah, yeah. that yeah. I was in love with her. And right, it was unrequited. Okay, as it was in real life. <laughs> where did you uh just a couple of years you know her junior there was no chance she was an ingenue yeah, so amazingly yeah. beautiful i'm a nerdy kid i didn't have a chance but yeah of course i had a crush on her yeah drooling all over the place <laughs> it came through right and uh 
everyone was great to work with on that show. I mean, fun I, I know everybody always says that about their shows and stuff, and you go, BS, and what really happened and all that stuff. But, yeah, I mean, I I can't complain. I, I, it might be my selective memory that I choose to only remember only the good times because right. there were tensions and things that you know occur just in anyone's young life or whatever. But I swear, I just look back, just big smile, fond memories. Yeah. We appreciated it, maybe not as much as we should have but we did appreciate it right My, michael gross that's the father right yeah. he played the father it's funny you mention him because he's the guy i had that conversation with okay we talked about it like you know we appreciated it maybe we didn't understand exactly what we had right like now looking back you go oh my god that was like <laughs> right well his i mean he is because i mean he's an intense actor i mean he can play like i've seen him play you know <laughs> deranged individuals I, I can't remember what show i saw him on but you know but the father was very gentle he came from NPR. broadway, came from broadway back really then. yeah yeah he's, he's like and meredith baxter Burney. by the <laughs> way those first couple of seasons if anybody cares to peek and you'll notice a marked difference from later in the in the show the first couple of seasons before it was you know hugely popular are some of the best episodes really yeah how why is that why do you say that i just it's there's a certain i don't know innocence about it the 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 little girl in the show, you know, so she's so cute and little still. Right. <laughs> yeah. Tina Yothers, who's my good friend now, who recently came in on stage uh, at the Improv, by the way. Oh. And Michael J. Fox has done that two years ago. But Tina went up fearlessly, prepared jokes, came up with her, her, an old 80s hair wig. <laughs> People thought she still had the 80s hair. Right, right. She revealed that she did. She did jokes and she emceed the show and was just brilliant. Wow. Yeah. Where, where like was this at? This was at the Improv in either Oxnard or one of those. Uh, oh, the Levity Irvine. Live? Yeah. Oh, no, wow. it was, uh, it was uh, the Improv. It was at the Improv. Irvine, okay. maybe. Okay, Irvine. Wow. And uh, did you say Michael J. Fox also did that? or Years ago at the Hollywood oh. Improv. Okay. He could just show up, get up on stage, and do time. He would be able to riff. He was that funny. Wow. Yeah, naturally funny. That's awesome. And... um. Did he ever ask you about how was what was your relationship like with with him on the with show Michael. or off so, stage or you know again a few years older than me so you know but took me under his wing a little bit like a brother like a younger brother or whatever you know he used to let me <laughs> ride his coattails a little after the show mm-hmm. if they'd go out to a nightclub or whatever I'd get to go oh okay it was such a big thrill <laughs> for me you know what I mean at that point you know at the age when I aged to the point where I could go right right you know, at first I couldn't go anywhere yeah. <laughs> But he smoked cigarettes. I smoked cigarettes. I smoked the same kind that he did. I wanted to be him, so I've smoked Export A's, which are like Canadian cigarettes. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, because he's Canadian. Yeah. And uh, Justine smoked too. I remember she whatever Marlboros or something. And uh, <laughs> Meredith right. Baxter Rooney got really mad. She was the mom of the right, show, right. you know, and she got mad at Michael. It's because of you. They're smoking, you know. <laughs> you know? And and uh, what can I say? He taught me comedy. Taught me physical comedy. Taught me timing yeah you know my dad had taught me so much but here now was my new professor michael j fox what was his training was he just uh, did was he trained in canada was he was did he come out of college again i'm always shocked i'm always shocked when people like you and as i'll put you in the same boat with michael j fox really funny talented people don't have that heritage they don't Mm -hmm. have a dad that taught them how do you how do you guys do it right right. he's definitely in that boat i'm like you know hey i don't know his parents are kind of like you know they're fun and he's got i think i don't know i forget if he got a sense of humor from his dad or whatever but they're 
they're like normal people. They're not yeah, yeah. showbiz people. So he was just a phenomenon. Yeah. I mean, he, he is, he's such a, and he just seems like he's such a good person. Like I've read articles about him. And, and his books and everything and the optimism and the yeah. uh, a lucky life and the ultimate optimist or whatever. I forget the exact title. The uh, Yeah. Um, he looks at life through the right eyes, especially considering what's happened to him. And that's, uh, you know, another part of this, the sad part of it, which is what's happened to him. We're raising money for the Michael J. Fox Foundation. And so when I sell my merch after the show, I donate 100% to Michael J. Fox Foundation. Oh, wow. And I say in the show, I go, look, I might not be here if it wasn't for him. And that's something I, you know, I respect. Wow. I, I want to. That's so nice of you. Is that something you can buy on your website too? I don't have uh, all that technical uh, stuff all worked out exactly yet, but we're trying. Even at the, you could join our team, Skippy Loves Fox, if you go to teamfox.org. Okay. And it's uh, Skippy Loves Fox is the name of the team, or if you put in my name, it should come up. Okay. And then you join our team and you help us raise money, you help us raise our goal for the year and such. Right. Oh, that's awesome. And um, so. you're you're doing the show, so I guess eighty five. You would be uh, seventeen then. Yeah, seventeen. So eighteen. So at what point are you starting to to use this sort of your family ties connections to kind of tour the road? Are you now? Do you start hitting the road harder or what? All right. So I'm fifteen and I'm emancipated. Oh wow. So now I don't even have explain a, emancipated. I'm a legal adult. You okay. go to the courts and the judge sits down and is clearly out of his mind because he gives <laughs> you permission right to not have a parent or a guardian and you explain to him the way you get it kids if you're listening i don't know if they changed how they do it mm-hmm. but what you do is you say look we we have to pay for a guardian on the set that's the law okay if you emancipate me i can go into the set and there's people around and i'm okay and my dad can pick me up afterwards and we don't have to have somebody there all day Okay. And that's why we're doing it. And they're like, okay. And aren't you also getting the but, money? But, but when they, uh, let me think. When I was emancipated, when we were. I guess, I guess so. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Where did my money go? Good question. <laughs> Never thought about that. Money. Wait a minute. Oh, Marco's running out of here. <laughs> Hold on a minute. <laughs> my money. Do they? I think the way that it worked is you. I was always getting paid, but there was a law that a percentage of it, that law still exists, a great law to help protect children from losing all their money, right. is that a percentage of it goes away until you turn 21, mm-hmm. until you turn 18 or something like that. Right. And so uh, that didn't change like okay. when I was emancipated. Okay, Some, so you weren't like That getting, law didn't change. Like my yeah. check still, that still automatically got deducted. Right. So you weren't blowing your money on Canadian cigarettes and booze. No, I was. Oh, you were. Okay. They, they take a percentage. <laughs> okay. They put it away for you for when you turn. Okay. Whatever, yeah. So you're emancipated. And that you said. So that was an issue. You think that was good or bad or? Oh, uh, again, I think it was good. But no, parents. What I suggested for your kids, you know, mm. no. <laughs> yeah. But it was great. Yeah. Because I, because I, again, it was supposedly just so I didn't have to pay for the guardian. But really, you become an official adult. You can sign a rental agreement. You're, mm-hmm. you're, you're so you got your own place and everything. Adult. I got, I did. I got my own place. And, wow. You know, I stormed out of my dad's house. You know. Wow. If you're you want to live under my roof, you're a rebel. You're I rebelled. Uh, I had a stepmom, and she loved me so much. You know, it only took a couple of years before I appreciated that. But at the time, you know, I don't know. Does anybody have a? 
teenage period where they don't respect their parents properly? I got the only one. Uh, yeah, of course, everyone okay, has that. Right. I mean, I, I was more sullen. I was just more quiet. Became very quiet. It's a little withdrawn, but yeah, I don't. But if you could have afforded to, wouldn't you? Have oh yeah, if I was on family ties, I'd be <laughs> such yeah. a, such an asshole. Bye bye. But I I then I came to really appreciate my stepmom, who wanted you know just like my mom wanted me to go to Cornell and stuff. My my stepmom wanted me to just have a great life, and she did afford me a great. She was great to me the whole time growing up and stuff. But when we were when I was a teenager and everything, she wanted me to come home and. Have, you know, have a reasonable hour, yeah. Whatever they call it, a deadline to come home. What do they call that? They don't call it a deadline. <laughs> what do they call a curfew. A curfew. She oh wanted my me to have god! A curfew. Who am I talking to? But the comedy clubs closed <laughs> much later than the curfew. Right, right. So the comedy clubs won. You know, yeah. that was it. I was hooked. And I you was, were hanging out at the improv. I was hanging or? at the comedy store. Comedy. Oh, yeah. that. See that right there. I would say no. No <laughs> that, child of mine is going to hang out at the comedy store. <laughs> that's where my role yeah. models. You, Sam Kinison, uh, Paulie Shore. That's a good group. That was my role. Models. Oh my God! What was that like? I could have had any other role model. It would have been better in the eighties. Rubik's cube. Yeah, been a better role yes. model. Uh, pet rock, something. <laughs> yeah. But man, I wanted to be one of those guys, and those guys were funny. They were funny. Yeah. And they were outlaws, and it mm-hmm. was you know this like great thing to witness. And I saw the Sam Kinison was the guy who was on last, and everybody would kind of. Uh, be scared of him and leave, and that's why they put him on last to, to get scare the out audience. the patrons at the end of the night. <laughs> and the comedians would sit in the back and enjoy it so much, and then a rock star would come and enjoy it too. And then right. all of a sudden, a few people heard about it, and then just so fast, it was like everyone was there to see him, you know? Right. So I saw the evolution of that. I saw Jim Carrey the first night he did his wow. thing without uh, impressions, impressions, where you know he talks about it still, you know, because that was a big move for him, and he was always making those bold, big, big taking you know monster risks right right you know so for him to just drop all the impressions and all the hack shit and just start a new one night yeah yeah. and he did it it was amazing you know wow and so i got to watch all that stuff just to witness that of jim carrey yeah (laughs) was i I always wonder like as a comic though because i would i remember jim carrey would talk uh, talked about something about being on stage for like two hours and but as a comic you're like hey I'm supposed to go up, you know, like I have the 11 o'clock spot and I got Jim Carrey doing two hours. Well, that would be later, right? When he got famous and stuff. This is all before. Yeah. But nobody was doing two hours unless you were unless you were Richard Pryor or whatever. But these days, Dave Chappelle and stuff does that. and Nobody cares. It's a good thing. It's like, oh, my God, Dave Chappelle just did two hours like a blessing. It's nobody. Even any comic that was supposed to go on is like, hey, I got to see Dave Chappelle do two hours. Yeah, (laughs) I get I get I get it's a little much. It's like, all right, you know. Just, two hours. You don't need to be up there two hours. I don't know. There's people that do. Have you heard about these marathon sets where people go oh, all yeah. night and stuff? I don't know how they. Do. Yeah, Dane Cook and Chappelle were going back and forth with that. Podcast for Eddie Griffin. After. What the hell? Yeah. Are we still talking? Whoa, boy! Look at that. I got, I got Skippy looking at his watch. Well, let's all right. Let's fast forward here. Uh, how did you? So was there a? <laughs> when did you hit rock bottom? No. Uh, no. This but, right now is this, the bad this turn. Is rock bottom. This is the bad turn in my E! True Hollywood story, and you're this listening podcast, to it live. Yes. Um, <laughs> I think that might be true. All right. That's why it's funny. Okay, that's fair. Um, I've, this is my first uh, roast on the podcast, the first time being roasted. Uh, it's an honor, though. It's uh, Mark Price roasting us. I don't have too many people I can pick up. No. I got Screech uh, and you. Oh, okay. that's pretty much oh it. my God. That's pretty much it. 
you know, Screech lives in uh, Wisconsin. You know, that's where I'm from. And, wow. uh, and he lives in Port Washington, and he stabbed a guy in Port Washington. I got a lot of work while he was in jail. Did he? Yeah. Oh, you I got was, a lot I of work. I got a lot of work. Oh, yeah, that's good. I've, I've filled in for him. <laughs> we need another nerd and quick. I get his rejected offers. Oh, that's good. Well, at least somebody benefited from a stabbing. Um, so, so after Family Ties ends, what... Uh, Oh, wow. Okay, jump ahead. Yeah. So, because he asked me when I started going on the road. So, I'm like 15, 16, hanging out at the clubs. I'm learning. I'm getting, you know, doing mixed sets and trying at the Laugh Factory. I got to give the Laugh Factory the credit because it was Jamie who okay. took me to the Laugh Factory. And I lived in an apartment behind it. And I used to perform there every night. Wow. And this was when, you know, not everybody wanted to perform at the Laugh Factory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or the, the big comedy store guys were comedy store guys and they were the improv guys. Right. And then the Laugh Factory really was the third string club. And if you know this, it was little. I don't know if you know this one. Mm-hmm. At that time, they hadn't bought the Chinese restaurant next door on Fong's and knocked down the wall. It was like, I don't know if they had 80 seats maybe. It was just the corner when you walk in now, just the entryway. That was the whole club. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was just a really small club. And it was a really special time. And people would come in there by mistake. They'd think it's the comedy (laughs) store. Right, right. And we'd kind of let them think that, you know, comedy store would be like, comedy, yeah, comedy. You know, (laughs) I just heard the first part. We were barking people in. Uh-huh. Once people were in, if they were about to leave, we'd bark them to stay. Right. Like, they'd get barked on both sides. <laughs> they'd get barked in. And then they the could exit. try to leave. And we'd be like, oh, no, I'm going on three people. Right, right. <laughs> Have another beer. Oh, my gosh. That's good. <laughs> and, uh, but, it, you know, I give credit to Jamie because he gave me that opportunity on stage to go on night after night after night and kind of hone a thing and figure it out a little bit. And, mm-hmm. Uh, by the time I was like 18, that's when I was going on the road. Okay. Because, yeah, I remember, because I started in uh, 94. So I remember like seeing your picture on, like they did like an oil painting or whatever of you at the Appleton Skyline Comedy Cafe. And I was oh, like, man. wow, Mark Price has been here. Like, <laughs> I, I probably said Skippy, but I was like, but I was always like, wow, all the celebrities are here. Um, so what was that? There was an incident at that place, too. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Famous incident. What happened? Well, that guy, Kevin, who owned the club. Right. God, it's so weird, the vague memories of the incident. Well, what, he had a gun. Do you remember this? Did he have well, I remember he a his, gun guy or something? JD was the other owner. He would carry a gun in his jacket. And he'd always, before the show, he'd be like, hey, have a good show. And then he'd open his jacket and show his gun. He'd be like, all right, I'll have a good show, I guess. I Kevin had a gun, too. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, it's a very uh, sort of mob-oriented... Uh, oh, shit, really? Yeah. I didn't even think of that. I think, or else they were just nuts. I don't know. Uh, anyway, so there was something with somebody, a girl that worked there, and me, and like a waitress, you know, like one of those kind of things, and she uh-huh. had a boyfriend. Oh. Uh, the boyfriend came all upset, you know. Because you, because of you. Because of me. There was one of those moments. There was one of those moments where Uh I didn't know about you. Uh Punch. Face. Oh, you got punched. No, no, no. That actually was another story. But it was like that. It was was very close (laughs) to that. How many punching stories do you have? This this one was just like, you know. Okay, if I'm going to share, this is one of those humiliating moments. Like, why do you share this? Because I'm sharing too much. But he was like, you know, did you... Like my girlfriend or whatever, you know, like uh-huh. like an eighties movie. Right. It was a moment for it was he was the bully from the eighties movie and right. he was like pissed. This is winner and, takes all part right. two. This yeah. was like, you know, the nerds versus the cheerleaders or whatever. And he was like, Did you sleep with my girlfriend? And she was like behind him going, No. Like, right, say right. no. Say right. no, say no. <laughs> 
Like that's the the, the moment. Thing. Okay. And what'd you say? No. Oh, okay. No. <laughs> I'm not so, stupid. So you avoided the punch in the face. <laughs> that's you why I didn't get the punch. In the don't face. mess with those Wisconsin boys. Yeah. But always put your clothes on. These are lessons long, long <laughs> forgotten because I don't need them anymore. I have my forever love. So there's no. Yes. Know, not yes. that it's even possible to have that kind of lifestyle anymore. But back in the day, I did learn that if there's commotion at the door and you're in bed with a girl and there's commotion at the door and she gets up and there's commotion, mm-hmm. put your pants on. Don't just <laughs> lie there and hope it goes away. Anything, don't put your pants on. Because there's you're... one thing worse than having a mad, angry hick of a boyfriend with a bottle of Jack Daniels punch you in the face. It's to have him do that while you're naked. Like, right. try to defend yourself naked. There's no way to do it. Right. You're naked. You're, but you're those guys automatically are very, nerdy. Yeah, but those guys are very homophobic. They'd probably be like, all right, get out of here. I didn't seem probably... to bother this guy. All right, well, maybe, <laughs> maybe that was really the issue. I see. You know, love for, for you. Man, love. This has gone off the rails. And there was the yeah. famous quote, you're sleeping with, and that wasn't the word. Oh. <laughs> you're sleeping skippy? <laughs> sleeping with, yeah, um, yeah. Like that he actually said that before he punched me. Oh, like he geez. had that realization. That right. That's what was happening. Oh boy. Well, um, he'll always have that memory. I wonder where she is now. We actually know. Oh really? It's amazing. But uh, comedian uh, who's no longer with us, his sister. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> his sister was uh, the uh, the girl that was the. She was a bartender at a comedy club oh my gosh we met her more recently oh okay after all these years huh well maybe off the air you'll share that with me uh <laughs> we don't have to share it now um that was a that was an example of sharing too much sharing too much welcome to sharing too much that's a, a, with tom clark that's about uh um so um what was for you sort of so after the family ties you're touring and all that is that is there sort of a lean time for you where it's kind of like because because i met you i met you uh when you produced the game show now are the lean times now are the lean lean times (laughs) right the lean times for you now but uh yeah it wasn't while i was producing tv shows right (laughs) those were good times it certainly wasn't back in the family ties making movies days right uh but uh i don't mind it no it's i mean you gotta appreciate the ups and downs right? i've grown to cope yeah. and i'm very grateful for all that i still milk out of back then <laughs> and uh you know i don't get uh like people if i'm working in a city and i'm doing a lot of press or whatever some people come up to me sometimes and everything but it's not like in la anyone cares right so that's comfortable yeah well i, I know you posted that article a couple of weeks ago about somebody wrote like a clickbait oh, article uh, about, oh, a really bad one. I'm on washedupcelebrities.com, and yeah. this is like one of those kind of things. It's but like, people don't understand. Like, it's not you're not washed. You you did it. Like, it, it's like you you've achieved so much. I think that's I think that's the problem with a lot of <coughs> performers or whatever. We don't appreciate like what we have accomplished. I think it was right? in the Larry Wild books. It said, uh, "I'd rather be a has been than a never was." Right. Exactly. And uh, and you know I, I I you know I read that. I was like, I don't you know. Don't first of all, don't post it because that gives them more. Because people are like, "Oh, why did he post this?" And it gives them more clicks. But you, you I sh- thought it was funny actually. There, okay, there, there are times that there are funny ones. Like there is a site washedupcelebrities.com, uh-huh. and I am on it, <laughs> and it does come up when you Google me. By the way, and uh, do you ever read it on stage? I, I did. I did oh, for a while, funny. and then they started doing that Jimmy Kimmel thing after I did it, where they mean tweets where people oh, would yeah, read yeah. mean things about them, and I was like, "Man, I did that." First. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, 
But anyway, uh, yeah, because some of them were, I think maybe a comic might have hit some of them. They're that edged. They're right. Funny, yeah. They're, well, that's good. But, uh, find the humor. People come in and defend me and stuff. It's hysterical. Yeah. Well, that's good. It keeps your name out there. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. If it was, I like celebrityworth.net. Oh, yeah. That site is. Uh, how are they determining your worth? Uh, apparently, they don't have very good mathematical skills. <laughs> they say I'm worth $2 million, which is, uh, you know, it's off by $2 million. Right. So. <laughs> um, uh, let's see. Well, I, I did want to talk about Funny Money because you, you, the Funny Money was this uh, really fun show hosted by Jimmy Pardo, produced by you. Never not funny, Jimmy Pardo. Never not funny. And, uh, and it's uh, two comedians or three comedians compete uh, to get the two contestants to uh, they have to give them the most laughs with their jokes and uh, or and, stuff like that. Whatever. Yeah. They, uh, contestants interact with the comedians. Yeah. But but Mark put me on that show and, and I, lo- I I had so much fun on that show. And I remember I was on with Sully McCullough and uh, Brian Dunkelman. Oh, nice. And they made a bet before the show of, like, who's going to win. Oh, they put a side bet backstage. Yeah, and, and, I, won. and I won. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> and I was, like, such a, yeah! A little, it was like a rocky moment. Well, um, you know, that's the thing. The comedians were supposed to be competing just like that. that you, right. You, what you just said was the essence of what the show was supposed to be. But, as always, when you pitch something to the network, and there's a <laughs> somebody has to say... Well, you know, and we were right on it. That was the timing for when comedians could compete. Mm-hmm. And it didn't have to be anything other than the comedian could win the prize. I wanted the comedian oh, to win the God. trip to Jamaica. Yeah, that's you what know? the guy won, a trip to Jamaica. And right. I was like, I was so happy. And I was like, wait a minute, I didn't win this. Like, right, I wanted, I wanted the comedians to win that. And they said, you know, it's a game show. And in the traditional structure of a game show, we need to have contestants. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And all that stuff. And then, you know, 10 minutes later, Last Comic Standing was on or whatever. And they would have done it all differently 10 minutes later. But right. They made us add contestants. Right. Well, there's this new show on now called Punchline, which is basically your idea, which is two comedians, two comedians. They compete against each other to come up with funny headline or funny jokes about a stuff story. Yeah. Yeah. And it's basically the same idea. We had all that. We actually <clears throat> did a pilot before the one that you were on that was like an earlier permutation that's closer to what I'm talking about right now. And it was called So You Think You're Funny. Mm-hmm. And Kevin Meany was on it. And Paul Rodriguez was the host. Oh, wow. And uh, uh, how can I blank out on his name? He's so funny. Uh, Pablo Francisco okay. was the prize guy. Oh, okay. So you had Paul Rodriguez as the host. Wow. You know. Sending it over to Pablo Francisco, right? And people like Kevin Meany. It was unbelievable. It was oh, unbelievable. I, I have a Kevin Meany story. I worked with Kevin. I think it was maybe 1998 or nine in Milwaukee. I hosted for him. He's such a nice guy. And I remember we were driving. And this is before he came out. And I remember we drove. We were going to go to a bar and meet up with the staff at a bar. And we were driving. I was like, Oh yeah, this area is uh, a lot of gay bars around here. He's like, Oh, you want to go there? I was like. I was like, and I just laughed it off. But I was, but looking back now, I'm like, oh yeah, he probably did would have preferred to have gone there. <laughs> uh, but what a nice guy he was. Like he's so sweet and just so funny. Like I love that silly humor. There's so few comics that do silly well anymore. Good point. Good point. Silly is a lost art. It I is. Love it. I know. I, I I think especially now with the climate we're in. I mean, a Steve Martin. I feel like somebody like that would would just crush now because there's there's just so much you know 
there's just no silliness left. Everyone's so serious, Twitter and all that. But do you do a little silly? Yeah, I'm still pretty. So I'm very apolitical. I don't do any stuff like no, that. Trump it's jokes. no Trump jokes. Yeah, you you instantly divide the audience as soon as you just say the name. And it's like you could it could be completely innocuous, and and you just lose half the audience. Everyone gets tensed up. I know all do, about it. Do you have you? I deal with it because I can't not. I my style has to include talking about politics and has to include. Um, sharing who I am but I try to ride the line in a way that that but I know what you're talking about yeah and I sell out to some degree but without completely selling it I mean I admit it I'm a Bernie liberal yeah uh Meredith yeah. Baxter Bernie no <laughs> I I uh kind of admit to it but I make jokes that the Republicans can laugh at as well about people in Hollywood and stuff too which yeah is, that's whatever I well I and you have that training of you're an old school guy that learned early on if you're going to make fun of one side you got to make fun of the other side I feel like nowadays it's just I'm just owning this side and because both sides have give I mean, the people what they want right exactly yeah it's like why alienate half your audience um, but yeah, I mean, I think you do have to call it out, especially if you are going to talk about current events or anything, you know, but I'm a little all over the board. You, you, I don't know if you're more defined than me. I, uh, and it could, this may be, um, something that holds me back. I don't know, but it's just the fact I had all these different influences mm-hmm. and I feel like my show is a sort of a compilation of all that. It's, you know, I've got silly stuff. I've got political stuff. I've got observational stuff and I've got smart stuff and I've got right. physical stuff. Do you, um, cause yeah, we, uh, do you want to talk about sort of what you're doing right now? I right? talk about technology, talk about myself. So 30 cities this year. Wow. So far. And this has been an increase over, you, you said right now you're, you're really working the road, like really, like, cause I'm this year. It's, yeah. Uh, more than it was even maybe at the height of my family tie stuff. I don't know if I did as, you know, I don't think I was at 50 cities every year. I might've had a couple of years like that, but. And now you're doing it all. You're the, I'm you're the guy the, setting it up. Now yeah. I used to get a call from somebody at ICM or whatever. All right, we got your date. I'd be like, all right, what is it? You know, right. <laughs> writing it down. You could do book. some of your dad impressions. You're, you're speaking of your dad, like you put on your agent voice and then pretend. Oh, like when I sell myself now. Yeah, yeah. I admit it's me. Oh, you do. I don't okay. play the part of the agent. Yeah. There's a guy that does that though. Have you heard about him? There's a guy that like pretends to be different people. I know a few people that'll do that, or they'll have a fake email for their agent quote-unquote agent uh-huh. and then have them and it's i've it's got some fake email but that's me. <laughs> me but sometimes it's more effective that way to have uh I'm, if somebody else is reaching out but so what do you do you call you you're, florida laughs at gmail.com and stuff like that right right when i send people to florida so. okay and what do you uh so i've been teaming up with different people you know marcia warfield came out of retirement and came back out on the road and she's doing great now she's got her own show in vegas and she was just at the montreal comedy festival and i'm very proud that some of her first road gigs back mm-hmm. after 15 years were with me and i was able to you right. know sort of make that happen marcia warfield was the the clerk on night court Roz on night, Roz court. On night court. and yeah. she's uh you know she was on the richard pryor show and she was one of the first you know comedians uh on television doing sets and stuff right right I mean, real definitely People she forget. gets a pioneer credit yeah, yeah. a great lady very funny and so smooth she came back 15 years later i when i started going again after i had taken 10 years off or whatever mm-hmm. i grabbed my old act and you know belt from there you know like right, I, tried, right. I was doing like where's the beef references and stuff, <laughs> you know trying to figure it out but she she started anew she just wow. scrapped it all came back shared who she really is Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's really funny. Yeah, it's yeah. Really funny. 
Yeah, I see her on Twitter, and she's she's back 100%. She's got an edge. I always love that edge. Thea Vidal's got that edge. I don't know. Paula Poundstone's got that edge. Yeah. So who are so who are you going out? So Those are some of my favorites. So um, so let's see. So I sometimes I do these shows with other sitcom stars, and it's like the legends of sitcom or whatever. And we did one with, uh, you know, I love Jonathan Kite. He oh yeah, the, from uh, Two Broke Girls. Two Broke Girls. Chef. If people don't know, he's a brilliant stand-up, and he does music, and he sings, and he does impressions. Gee, I wonder where I like him. Right. It right. Reminds me of someone. Yeah. I can't do that stuff, by the way. My dad could. I could never do it. No. I could never sing or <laughs> do impressions. And so I, I love him very much. And uh, I, I team up with uh, these guys called the Comedy Warriors. Okay. And they star in a movie called Comedy Warriors Healing Through Humor. And in the movie, Bob Saget and Louis Black and Zach Galifianakis right. mentor injured veterans in okay. stand-up comedy. These are guys that had oftentimes a, a sick sense of humor. Mm-hmm. But they already were funny, and they—that's how they were chosen for this. Right. And then those guys give them this like intensive stand-up, and they're, they're working with writers, and they're, uh-huh. they're like, right. And in a few weeks, they're up at the Improv and the Laugh Factory and such. And there's a documentary. Right. Yeah, I remember and that. It's on Amazon, Amazon Prime right now. Comedy yeah. Warriors Healing Through Humor. So a couple of the guys are so good at it; they're so funny. They became full-time comedians. Okay. And so we're on tour, and we're going to be in Colorado, and uh, one of them and myself are going to be in everywhere like michigan and indiana and ohio and pennsylvania wow in november that's great and uh you enjoy it like you're you're back and enjoying it uh enjoying the road yeah yeah i worked uh hey guys in uh and it's insane they say st louis but it's like little like it's, it's in not, illinois it's not, there. it's not there anymore fair fairview heights fairview, fairview heights. heights yeah i remember bruce veach he was the uh the booker or the own the club and yeah unfortunately it shut down two weeks before i was supposed to be there Uh, (laughs) i was there the year before but yeah i was uh yeah he bruce is a nice guy and uh it's too bad they couldn't keep the comedy v-loff what's that art Art v-loff was the guy that ran that club maybe it had a different name but he ran that club for many many years oh okay i see i see yeah yeah i i uh yeah i i enjoyed working there but yeah but yeah he mentioned about uh Bruce you at the club. Right. And you used to go to the club quite often and uh, perform there. He mentioned how he had to take you for groceries. <laughs> oh, what a diva. Yeah. He wants to eat groceries. <laughs> Can't you order fast food like everybody else? Right, right. Can't the app. Yeah. I need a carrot. Hollywood diva. I need an apple. I, right. need, I make my kale smoothies. <laughs> I'm right. a liberal. Yeah, there you go. You need your. Uh, There's something in the kale. Yeah. Yeah. My dad, I have a joke about my dad. My dad, the doctor told me he needs to start eating kale because he's, he's 93. So they said, well, it'll help with your eyes. Got, And uh, so I was like, so he, my dad said, oh, I finally bought kale. I was like, oh, good. And I was like, how do you prepare? He's like, I hey, just put a little mayonnaise on it. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, all right, well, at least you're eating kale. I guess it sort of defeats the purpose, but all right. Um, but hey, yeah. there's something to that. What's that? There's something to that. Yeah, yeah. I remember Sam Kinison at the uh, one of the fancy Hollywood restaurants ordering cream spinach, uh-huh. and really somewhere in his mind thinking that was like healthy. It was like crazy, <laughs> but it was just like right. butter. It was because the word spinach is in it. Was it was green, yeah. but it was like just delicious. Yeah, mashed butter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fried thing. Yeah. Now, have you thought about anything like a book or anything, or, or a little autobiography, or? 
Not really. The, uh, book, uh, yeah, you think about those things, but the actual effort it takes to, <laughs> to, <laughs> to do it. Yeah. I was one of the mix, the real stories with the completely made up ones, you know. Oh, that's what Norm MacDonald did on his. Did he do that? Yeah, he, he sort of, uh, he's sort of a hint of truth. And Chuck then. Barris famously did, did one. Oh, right, did he? The, the gong show guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. But he was a spy and yeah, stuff and like that. Mixed it up. Yeah. Did you ever, were you ever on the gong show? No, not, not the gong show. No. Were you ever on any of the twenty thousand dollar pyramid or the, or any of those? Win, loser, draw. Oh, win, loser, draw. Later than those. I used to watch those right, after right. school. The Bert Convy. Used win, to loser, watch Bert Convy, and then all of a sudden, there I was working with him. And wow, was Bert Reynolds on your episode? Bert Reynolds, was, yeah. Oh wow. They they owned it, right? Right. So right. I, I became I was on as a guest, but then I actually hosted on the on on Disney Channel the teen win, loser, draw. Oh wow. And all the little kids from all the shows, all the famous kids were on as guests right and some of those kids went on to be leonardo dicaprio and wow justin timberlake that's awesome and uh leonardo dicaprio when he walked in he had a energy field around him he knew he was a star he, it was clear mm -hmm. and but they were nerdy kids and i was just a little older now uh -huh. it's like michael j fox and me in reverse you know now right. i'm the older guy right and I don't have a guardian, and they do. They're with their parents or whatever. I've got my own apartment. You know, right. And I've got writers. I had writers. Oh, my gosh. And they were, like, not jealous of me, but they thought I was really cool. Uh-huh. Like, I just love that. That so There was a, some point in history, there was some way that Justin Timberlake and Leonardo DiCaprio could think I was really cool. <laughs> there was a moment in time. It was just that moment. I wish right. I could just bottle that. Right. That they're... <laughs> spray it. Sitting in the back seat of their mom's car, like I want to be like Skippy. I go to a, a seance and try to connect with those moments. Right. <laughs> people people go to seances. They try to reach their dead relatives. I try to try to connect with a steady moments paycheck. of your past. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna before because um, you mentioned about Jay Leno getting upset with you. You mentioned because Larry Wilde was like, oh yeah, you can use those jokes. But you said something about Jay Leno. Yeah. Did okay. you wanna... So I told Jay Leno jokes when I was like 14 years old. Okay. I didn't, uh, know as much as I know now. I, or maybe I did know and I did it anyway or whatever. Right. Renegade, <laughs> rebel. Yeah. But, uh, and you know, somebody was recently commenting and they were like, you know, when people start and they do other people's jokes, which you don't do. Right. They get better faster. And I thought about right. that and I went, you know, and he went, it's unfortunate, but he goes, I wish I would have done it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But I'm not encouraging people to do that. But there is something to that because you get the confidence that a solid joke brings to you, whereas if you don't have any solid jokes, you have to wait until you write them. Right. <laughs> no, I, I did that a little bit with Steve Martin. and it's Okay, like, so I'm glad to hear that, so I'm not the only yeah. one. Everybody seems to have started, or not everyone, because now it's become such a taboo. I can't imagine that people do that now. Oh, no, you'd get videotaped. Days, and that's yeah. how you did it. You were like, oh, I got Steve Martin's jokes. I don't have my own jokes. You know? Right. And on the playground or whatever, you'd tell Steve Martin's jokes. Well, I wasn't on the playground. I was on Merv Griffin. You know? Right. What can I say? Because in the early, I mean, you were in the 80s. I was in the early 90s. It was like there was no YouTube. There was no, you know, you watched videos of comics and you kind of learned that way. There was no guidelines to how to do it. So it was on TV and people, he didn't see it, I don't think, but people right. had calls, you know. So I got the call from Jay Leto, you know. Hey, I, uh, but he was so supportive. He wasn't like mad at me or mean to me or something. Hey, you're telling some of my jokes. You know? <laughs> Blamed it on writers. Oh, oh no, <laughs> writers gave me those jokes. <laughs> he was like, just come to, come to the improv. Let's uh, look at you. Like that kind of thing. Like he oh, actually okay. was supportive. Oh, that's nice. You know, yeah, I've, I've only heard good things about Jay Leno that he's as much as he's got sort of this. And then years later, I was you know opening for him on the road. I went on tour. Oh wow, yeah. wow, that must have been. Was, uh, 
a few shows it wasn't like a, we weren't on the bus together or anything but right right i like to look at it like my world tour yeah yeah but the, that's still <laughs> a few, few dates in michigan <laughs> yeah that's still pretty cool i mean it just was. all the it legends really cool. that you and he saw. wasn't the yeah. host of the tonight show yet he was the biggest comedian in the united states though he was right but he was not the host of the Tonight Show yet he wasn't hadn't achieved that level of superstar right he was like the biggest road guy out right, there right, yeah right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um all right well I, I really appreciate you meeting with me this has been uh awesome is there anything uh you've got dates coming up uh where can we check you out where can we check me out we're coming up in uh I've got this great show coming up in August 17th Saturday in okay. Point Reyes California it's an outside venue like a Woodstock. oh I love that it's got a parachute tent roof on it. Nice. But it's all outside, this beautiful setting. I, I was driving by. I went in. I had to find the owner. I was like, I, I was just drawn to, like a magnet. And I'm producing the show. Oh, wow. And it's three generations of comedians. It's Bruce Baum. Oh, yeah. Bruce Baby Bam Baum. Right. And it's Irene, too, who's young and on the go from San Francisco and being spotlighted as the next big thing and okay. she's in her young 20s and she's really funny and so it's the three of us it's baby boomers generation x and millennials oh nice uh, what's the city again it's in point reyes california point reyes, california. along the coast not far from san francisco nice and uh, spectacular views and stuff like that and so august 17th saturday there and then come the fall we're everywhere from back up north again because i love northern california and yeah oregon and washington and all that right beautiful grandeur so mm -hmm. before winter kicks in i try to get up there as much as possible right but then we have the more normal grind michigan indiana ohio i like those are your grind pennsylvania states. <laughs> Ugh, michigan ohio you'll never win the presidency that way mark it's in the winter yeah no yeah. i i don't blame it. i i grew it's, up in wisconsin in the winter it's brutal it's brutal but that's where the audiences are best you yeah. know it try to oh, sell yeah. tickets in the summer mm -hmm. you go to the winter in wisconsin people are ready to buy tickets and oh, watch yeah. a comedy show yeah because it's like two weeks out of the year that we have nice weather do you notice people the less desirable of places to live the people are nicer yeah, and the better the shows, like the better the more, the shows, right? More enthusiasm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, it's a steep, it's a tough it's price a to pay. Strange phenomenon, yeah. a strange comedy phenomenon. Yeah, but uh, so that's why people always say to me, I don't know, they probably say this to you too. Why are you here? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, are you kidding? Because they don't want me in the main cities. I can't get <laughs> they booked don't in San Francisco me. proper. Yeah. Yeah. So and, I'm playing Ukiah. Oh, I, I played Ukiah a few times. <laughs> it's a hippie I, city. Yeah. <laughs> And um, the K sound, I don't know. right? Um, <laughs> let's see, but yeah, well, when, Point we, when we we've never worked together, we've always talked about it. But we've well, never... you headline and I headline. How do we do it? But we could double headline. I'm going with Mark Yaffe. Oh yeah, who's a marvelous headliner. Right, right. Recently has his dry bar comedy special got a million views. I got a dry bar comedy special. Did you get too? a million views? Uh, no. <laughs> All right. All right, Mark. Please, I'm gonna jump off this canyon here. Um, <laughs> I didn't even get a dry bar comedy special. I don't feel bad. He should. <laughs> They're out there. I gotta, gotta <laughs> um, clean up my act. Oh yeah, that's true. It is a very clean. Um, the uh, Mark Yaffe and I are going to Alaska in October, by the way. Oh, I was just up there in June. And so and, we're gonna do like literally like five cities in Alaska. Oh, that's fun. Alaska is so beautiful. Yeah, I love that. Where what cities? Fairbanks, Juneau, Ketchikan. Okay. And just ran like theaters or bars or everything. Different, different venues. One's a Hard Rock. What's a One's a bar, one's a restaurant, one's for the military. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow, that'll be fun. 
Uh, and what's the website for you? I uh, do Facebook. I'm Mark Skippy Price is my uh, Facebook page. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, uh, I should have the website. It should be like, yeah, my website is. My, my Twitter is. I don't even know what my Twitter is. <laughs> I think I'm Mark Price now. And I think at Instagram, I'm Mark Price Comedy. I don't know. I oh, have never Mark. visited my own Instagram page. Well, that's, you're really selling it hard here, Mark. <laughs> uh, and, and one more time for the, uh, for the for the Michael J. Fox Foundation. What's that? That one I will tell you. Yeah. You go to teamfox.org, uh-huh. and you can search out Skippy Loves Fox or Mark Price. My name is M-A-R-C-P-R-I-C. Our team will come up. You can join our team. Okay. And uh, help and raise part money of, uh, and, helping and us donate. achieve our goal. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for having me here in this uh, remote location. The Skippy Cave. <laughs> Skippy Cave. The Skippy Lair. And uh, wow, thank you so much for having me. And uh, check out Mark wherever you can find him. Google it. All right, bye.